there's no better thing to do than to exalt him. That's really what this is all about today. It's not about us. It's not about anyone else. It's about exalting him. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. Sometimes uh, the church makes the mistake of thinking that a lot of other things, while those are important, that those are the main thing, but they're not. The main thing is exalting him. And if we exalt him, he has promised that he will draw. So the best thing we can do today is to lift his name. You've done wonderful in doing that. Such a joy to be back with you today. I count it an honor to be here to uh, fill in while you're without a pastor. So in my position, uh, I get to pastor a lot of churches. And so I'm going to be your pastor for the next two or three weeks. And, of course, you have staff that are working with you, and they're doing just a wonderful job. But I'm going to be able to be with you uh, for the next uh, three Sundays, this Sunday, and two more at least. And then most likely after that, I've got a trip to Israel in between all of that. But uh, we're going to have a good time together. Now, I know it's always disconcerting. It's, it's, it's a time of uh, challenge when there is a pastoral change. And uh, I, I understand that I've gone through pastoral changes myself, and I know how it affects me, and so I know how it affects you, because once you've experienced that, then, then you know. And for many of you, this is not your first experience with this. And so what do we do? We pray and we trust God. Now, you can trust God. I may talk to you about that at some point, but uh, David said in the Lord, I place my trust. Now, for many of you, this took you by surprise, but it did not take God by surprise. Now, if we believe that God is in control, then we have to believe that everything is going to be okay. That when God saw fit to release Pastor Baker from here, he saw fit to release somebody else for him. And that's how it works. We are kingdom people. We are in God's kingdom, and God fits everything together for our good. So we're believing him for that. Over the next few days, let me explain to you what's going to happen, and then I'm going to preach to you this morning. Over the next few days, this next weekend, the council and, and some other uh, uh, members, uh, trustees and other members uh, that are on a transition committee are going to be interviewing potential candidates for this church. In those interviews, if they come to a point that they feel like that, that the Spirit of the Lord is directing them toward an individual, they will recommend that person for the pastorship here at the church. And then that individual on a given Sunday, the following Sunday or the next Sunday, will come and will be preaching for you. And as they have interviewed that candidate, you're going to get the chance to interview them as well in a service. So what will happen is uh, he'll come in or she'll come in and preach the gospel and have church with you, and, and then uh, you'll dismiss, and then you'll gather back for a predetermined time 
for uh, what Bishop Doherty calls a, a sort of meet and greet town hall fellowship time. And uh, then after that, there will be a time when you will be able to interview the candidate yourself, ask questions of he or she, and uh, after that, then you will be given the opportunity to, in a confidential preference vote to vote whether you agree with the recommendation of the council or this transition committee, and if you agree with a percentage that is the percentage needed for the bishop to appoint this person who's pastor, then they will become your pastor. Now, after they preach or somehow during the course of the interview process, uh, you just don't have that feeling, then if you do not vote with the percentage that is needed and necessary, then we'll take the step further, and we'll, we'll, we'll do that and be glad to do it. Because uh, uh, as Bishop Doherty would say, and I'm representing him today, we don't have uh, anyone that we're trying to force on you to be your pastor. Uh, you ask me, well, Brother Bewley, who's going to be our pastor? Who's the state going to appoint here or force a committee to, to appoint here? And uh, we don't know. We don't have a person. But we have a God, and our policy is we yield to the God that we serve, and if we yield to him, then everything works out right. But if we get in the middle of it, then guess what? We can mess it up. But as long as we're trusting God, the committee's trusting God, you're praying, you're trusting God, listen, everything's going to work out fine. Can I hear an amen right there? So we don't have anybody that we're going to try to force on this church. We're going to allow this transition committee to work with the candidate, and we believe that God in the process is going to place his hand on someone. He's already got his hand on someone for this church. And we believe that the ministry is just going to continue, that Pastor Baker has started here and, and his precious wife, Laura, and family. And, and we believe that, that God has the person for you. So let's pray to that effect. And, and that's what we want you to do in the meantime as a congregation. Pray for the transition committee, those involved. Pray for the candidates that they'll know. Pray for this church that everyone will stay encouraged because this is a time for encouragement. Stay encouraged because, again, God has something great in store for this body. Now, if you have questions for me individually, then I'll take those after the service today. I'll stay for just a moment. If you have questions, ask me. Uh, otherwise, uh, let's just uh, allow the Lord to work, and we believe he's going to over the next few days, and you're going to be very pleased with the end result. Okay, let us pray. Father, I want to thank you this morning for the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to thank you for the legacy that Pastor Baker and Laura have left here in this church that will continue to push this church forward and propel it into greatness. I want to thank you for every member that's here today. And Lord, in this process, show us your will, give us your wisdom that we may know the way that you would have us to go. Now, Lord, may the word that you have laid on my heart for the service today, may it be encouraging, edifying, may it bring about a release, the kind of release, Lord, that, that Pastor Tim talked about this morning, the kind of release, Lord, that the worship team talked about today. We want an encounter with you, a release that comes from you, and may the word let it happen for your 
scripture says, you'll know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So we thank you today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Well, if you will, turn with me in your Bibles. I'm going to be reading a passage of scripture in just a moment from the book of Acts. As a matter of fact, Acts chapter 3, I'm going to read to you a passage in, in just a moment. Acts chapter 3 follows Pentecost, which happens in Acts chapter 2. Now, Jesus had tried his best to explain to the disciples and give them some idea as to how things would function and work once he was gone, but still they were human just like we are and had a time of problem getting. But once Pentecost happened, it was not long thereafter that the disciples learned a lot. In this process, they learned probably as much as they did in the three years that they were with Jesus, or a little more than three years, when he was uh, allowing them to be his disciples. During this infusion of power, uh, things began to happen. Suddenly, the pieces of the puzzle began to come together. And they began to realize more than ever what Jesus had done for them, but also what Jesus was now going to do through them. See, that's an understanding that all of us must have. Not only must we understand what God has done for us, but we need to understand what God wants to do through us. Because that's where the kingdom is impacted. And so in this, there is the making of a miracle that transpires in just a few moments that we'll talk about. Now, this infusion of power gave incredible opportunity for ministry. Peter tried to explain it like this. He said that, we are now partakers of the divine nature of God. John said, there is an anointing that abides in you. Well, they were trying to explain this, again, infusion of power that they received as well as what we receive. Regardless of how you define it, the Holy Spirit became a force in the making of a miracle. And one example of that is given to us in Acts chapter 3. So I have three points that I want to bring out to you today. And the first is this, what happened? Well, we read about it in Acts 3. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain lame man from his mother's womb was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms or money from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms or some money, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look on us. So he gave them his attention expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. 
in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength, so he, leaping up, stood and walked, and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, there are several things in this passage that are, are really important. We'll try to break it down in, in this message. This is what happened. A lame man was healed. Now, Peter and John were on their way to the temple for prayer, something that they and others did three times a day, and it happened to be the ninth hour. The Bible says that they came to a gate. Now, there's been a lot of discussion as to what gate it was that this lame man lay at, but, but most believe it was the Corinthian gate. Now, the Corinthian gate was an incredible uh, gate. It, it stood 50 cubics high, and the doors themselves were 40 cubics high. And it was made, they say, out of bronze and silver and, and certain aspects of gold. And it was a, it was a magnificent uh, uh, creation that had been created as a gate. As a matter of fact, Josephus, the historian, explains it like this. It was adorned after a most costly manner having much richer and thicker plates of gold and silver. And on the outline of that door, they said that there was a vine, a vine that was prepared and placed there, and that vine represented God and Israel as being the vineyard of God. So is it this beautiful gate, this spectacular gate, gate that this lame man lay. Now, now, the reason why that I bring to you the spectacular nature of this gate is it was there that this decrepit piece of humanity who was lame lay. In the shadows of this gate was this twisted piece of humanity. Think about it. You have the spectacular and again the twisted piece of humanity that lay there. That really his condition was beyond his control. He was a pathetic cripple in the eyes of those who lived in that day. Now the wording used here has the medical influence of Luke. And in this, Luke is wanting to describe, Luke says that he was crippled from his mother's womb. So he had been crippled all of his life. It wasn't an accident that he came to that state. He was born that way. And uh, his ankle bones and ankles sort of twisted under 
his legs, making it impossible for him to walk. He was totally dependent on others. They had to bring him, and the scripture says, lay him daily at the gate. Now, this is the point that I want to make to you. All anyone was ever able to do for him was lay him at the gate. That's the only thing they could ever do for him. Bring him, lay him at the gate, and they did that day after day after day. When my wife and I got married, she had a half-sister by the name of Brenda. Brenda was, uh, she was experienced retardation. She was precious, but yet she was mentally touched in that way. And uh, they put her in a home up in Greenville, and, and we went up periodically to visit her. And it was quite amazing when you would drive on the property of this home in Greenville, you would see crippled people laying out in the yard. They were maybe on a blanket out in the yard where they had brought them out to get some sunshine. And, and I, I, I vividly remember those crippled people laying out there. People had brought them out, and many of them, they couldn't walk themselves, so they were brought out, laid there on the property, and then taken back into the facility after a, a period of time. Well, that's the condition of this particular man. He was handicapped. But there's something about this. Not only are you handicapped physically when you're in that state, but you're also handicapped mentally. You see, anything we experience in the physical normally affects us in the mental. I don't know about you, but I'm not a happy camper when I'm sick, physically sick. It gets to me mentally. I mean, I'm not one to lay in bed. I have had an episode just a few days ago where I passed out in the restroom in the middle of the night, hit the tile floor, hit my head, hit the back of my neck, had to go to the emergency room, and I don't know what exactly it was, but I know that I had to spend a day or two in the bed because of that. I was uh, had some kind of virus along with it, which caused me, I guess, to pass out. But it, I, I'm not a happy camper. I don't like to lay in the bed. It affects me mentally. So this man, not only is he affected physically, he's affected mentally. And in this, the only thing he can do for a job or employment is to be a beggar. And he's done this for years, and he has become a professional at it. He is a professional beggar. He knows how to get it done. He knows and has indications, like other beggars do, as to what it's going to take to get action. The Bible says when Peter and John came up, if you'll notice, he initiated the conversation. He's, the scripture says when he saw them, he begged for alms. Before they noticed him, he noticed them and got their attention. When you get God's attention, you get action. He responds. But anyway, he's a professional beggar. Now, you know, people learn these kind of traits. 
Now, I'm, by no means am I uh, classifying a, a car salesman as a beggar. I mean, they do a great job. And a great car salesman is a good, he's a good person to know. And, you know, most people do repeat business with car salesmen. But they tell me that a car salesman has a intuition that they can pretty well tell when a person walks on the lot with the way they're looking at everything whether they're going to buy a car or not. And that's a good thing to know because they've learned to read people and they've been in the business so long. So that's part of their success is knowing who's the real buyer and who is not. And, you know, sometimes you notice they'll just walk away if you don't respond positively in, in a fashion because they know you're not going to buy. You know, telemarketers, when they get you on the phone, they have an indication as to whether they're going to be able to sell you something or not. I read uh, back some time ago some things to know about telemarketing and, and what you do with them when they call. This person in, in writing said, what you don't want to do is don't hang up because they'll just call again. And, and they said, don't talk to them because if you talk to them, then they'll understand and learn that you're vulnerable and they'll take advantage of you. They said the very best thing to do is simply in a firm way say, no thanks and please put me on your do not call list and then hang up. Several years ago, my little, my oldest granddaughter was about four years old at the time, and telemarketers were calling her dad, and her dad, you know, just got tired of it. And so what he did, he started handing the phone to Caleb. And so he'd get them on the phone, and uh, he would uh, find out it was a telemarketer, and he'd just hand the phone to her. And she'd respond like this, please stop calling me, you're driving me crazy. Well, that's how you respond, but Peter made eye contact with the cripple. And when this happened, he must have thought, I've got a good one here today. I'm going to get something from these guys because they've made eye contact with me. When you make eye co contact, it sends a message. You know, it's possible that Jesus and the disciples had passed through this gate and had possibly seen this cripple before then, but just did not address the issue. If Jesus did, he was saying, I'm going to heal you, but just not now. But it's very possible that Peter and John passed by that way. But today was different. Something stirred within them and their faith. And after the beggar got their attention, Peter said to him, look on us. Look on us. Now, that's very important. Look on us. Now, why did Peter say that? Because he wanted this cripple's full attention. There are a couple of things that are important here. One is there were other businesses passing by. You know, this, this beggar didn't want to get involved in a lengthy conversation when there's other business passing by. You know, that's money. When other business partners are passing by that he could get money from, you know, that's his job. He doesn't want to get into a lengthy conversation, but Peter doesn't want him to stray in his attention either. 
Because most of the problems that God has with us is keeping our attention. He wants to speak to us. As a matter of fact, since I've been talking, you've wandered off two or three times and you've come back. It's hard to keep our attention. There's so many things going on, so much activity. I mean, don't you just hate to talk to someone? You know, they'll come up and, and maybe Trish wants to talk to me and she's talking to me and I'm going, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh. Have you ever had anybody do you that way? I don't like that. So I try my best to concentrate when someone is talking. And, and if I need to get someone else's attention, I'll say, hold just a second, Trish. Hey, I need to see you after church or I need to see you after this meeting now. You know, because I don't like for people to be looking over my head to see who else is in the building when I'm trying to talk to them. So Peter said, look on us. We want your undivided attention. Now, there was a reason for that. It's because Peter had a message for the man. The next thing Peter uttered, it was the last words that a beggar ever wanted to hear. And it was this, silver and gold we do not have. We want your attention to tell you that we don't have any money. That's not good. But Peter didn't end it there, did he? No, he said, but what we do have, we're willing to give it to you. What Peter was saying is, I don't have money, I don't have political might, I don't have majesty, I don't have medicine, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, what was he saying? He was saying what we need to say to the world. He was saying this, what you want is not what you need. What you want is not what you need. You think it is. You think if I put some money in your cup, that's going to be enough. But that's not going to be enough. You're going to have to come back here tomorrow, regroup, and do it all over again. But I'm offering you something today that's going to be different. What you need is not what you want. What you need, you don't know about. And what you need to know about, somebody needs to tell you. And that someone is me. What? I'm going to tell you will not rattle your cup, but will change your life. I'm telling you the world, they need to hear something that won't rattle their cup as a beggar. They need something that's going to change their life. And we have the word. We have the message that can change their life. Now, he was saying further, I'm going to give you will not rattle your cup. It'll change your life. It will not take you to the gate, but take you through the gate. 
So what we need to do is not take people to the gate, but get them through the gate. It'll take you through the gate. I'm going to give you something that money cannot buy, might cannot stop, majesty cannot compare, and medicine cannot mend. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Now, here's where I want to meddle a little bit, okay? When they said, look on us, they presented an advertisement. Look on us, because we have something to offer. If you watch television at all, you know that about every 10 minutes of any program you watch, there's a multitude of voices that suddenly say, look on us. It's called advertisements, commercials, commercials. Matter of fact, I watch Fox News some, and I count them. There are 10 to 11 commercials normally in between the breaks on Fox News and probably any other program. They're saying, look on us. But now listen, we, we may complain about the commercials, but listen, the church advertises as well. When I came in this, into the parking lot today, right out front, I saw an Alcoa Merrifield Church of God sign. You know what that is? That's an advertisement. You know why they put that out there? Not only to identify this as being the Alcoa Merrifield Church of God, they're wanting people to see that sign and see that sign come in here. That's why we have Facebook, we have Internet, websites. We, we, we put out all kinds of flyers. We do mission trips. We do newspaper advertisements. We're saying, look on us. Look on us. Now, don't you think if we're going to advertise and say, look on us, that we should not have something to offer? If we're going to advertise it, should we not produce what we're advertising? This is the Alcoa Maribel Church of God. That God attached there. Now, if you just said, this is Alcoa Maribel Church, church implies something, but when you put God on the end of it, you're saying, this is God's church, and God is here. Don't you think that people ought not be able to find God when they come in here? Yes. Because the world doesn't like false advertisement. I, before I moved to uh, Chattanooga, I lived in Bristol, Tennessee. And uh, I used to go to a restaurant there called Fats. And I'd take the staff on Mondays. And one of the requirements of being a staff member, you can talk to any staff member that I had, They'll tell you the same thing. One of the requirements that I had as a staff member, when we went out to lunch, everybody had to share a big old brownie. I mean, it was big enough for four people. I couldn't eat it all myself, wouldn't eat it all myself, so I'd order it and make them share it so I'd feel good about ordering it. So they had to share it. I have staff members talk about that still today. 
Well, in the menu, they advertise this brownie, chocolate, brownie, sauce, and nuts. Well, we had a waitress there that attended our church, and so she would serve us every day. So one day she brought that brownie out. I like the nuts. She brought that brownie out, no nuts. I let it slide that day, I think, and the next time she brought it out again, no nuts. I said, Angie, where are the nuts? The menu advertises it. I want the nuts. That's why I ordered it. I want the whole thing. She said, Pastor, give me just a moment. Let me check. So she goes back to the back and brings out a little cup of nuts. I said, if you're going to advertise it, you ought to produce it. It ought to be what you advertise. And that's just the same thing with the church. If we're going to advertise this place as being a place of healing, a place of deliverance, a place of salvation, then it should be offered when we come in here and people should leave this building delivered, saved, and healed in their body. Now, whoo, I'm about to get excited. I, I know that Is there anybody here that feels the same way that I do that gets weary laying people at the gate? Do you get weary laying people at the gate? Before I start passing out, I tell you this got on me because I feel pastor, I just don't have a church. But it bothered me so much when I had to take a member or an associate to a rehab place or even to the hospital. And I see them lay in the hospital bed and sick with cancer or heart trouble or high blood pressure. And I'm thinking, God, you're supposed to be champions of the faith and kingdom people. And being kingdom people, did you not say that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven? I mean, we have this kingdom authority and this kingdom power, and God, I'm tired of taking people and laying them out the gate. I want to say silver and gold have I none, but such as I have in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, and in that I want your name and faith to make a miracle transpire. You see, we advertise, and in this advertisement, the world comes in and they're expecting some results. We want to give them results. He said we have the ability to lay hands on the sick, cast out devils, bring deliverance. So in essence, he's saying, stop laying them at the gate. That's what I'm saying to you today as a church. Be militant. Be militant. Be aggressive. Like the worship pastor today. Be aggressive and say, hey, let's not let our brother, Taylor, I think it was, let's not let him lay at the gate. But let's be militant in our faith and our prayers and in our approaching God and bring deliverance for his body, for his life. 
See, the church is speaking and the world is listening, especially those that are out there. And I'll try to bring this to a close in just a second here. But, you know, the world, some want to find fault. I understand that. But there's some that wants to find faith. And there's multitudes that want to find fulfillment for their lives. And so when they see our advertisements and, and they see our preachers on TV or hear them on the radio or they see their signs out front saying revival, crusade, special event, cantata, Christmas, whatever, they come in because it's an advertisement. They're expecting something to happen in their life. And so not only are we to be del- advertisers, we're, be, we're to be delivery persons for God in this kingdom that we live in. Peter said, look on us. When he did, he said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And Peter reached and grabbed him by the right hand and pulled him up. When he did, the man Straighten up suddenly. Here is a man that's been laid at the gate, but now he's rejoicing because he's delivered, set free. He's jumping, he's praising God for the miracle that's transpired. And oh, I want to see people that come in that are under the weight of sin and the world and sickness and captivity leave this place rejoicing and saying or singing, thank God I'm free, thank God I'm free. But did you, do you believe that it can happen? You see, if we're not careful, we, we can get to the point of where we're complacent and we just come in. And I'm not saying that, that you're like that. I'm, I'm talking about the other church across town. I'm telling you this today so you can tell it to them. But if we're not careful, we can be like that church and become complacent and just everything's routine and, 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 and it's, you know, sort of just average. God never wanted average. He wanted nourishment. He wanted us to be aggressive. He wanted us, when we pray, to take charge and to pray in faith and pray in such belief that the deliverance comes. Now listen, that's what happened. Why did it happen? Notice what he says in verses 11 through 16. Now the lame man who was healed, held on to Peter and John, and all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power of godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate. When he was, when it, when he was determined to let him go, but you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and kill the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And in his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you 
all. What Peter is saying is, what you've seen, don't look at us and think that we're anything. What you're seeing is the fulfillment of what this Jesus you crucified said was going to happen. And he's saying, you haven't seen anything yet. That's why it happened. First of all, he loved the man. God loved the man, so he brought healing to his life. Secondly, this miracle was made to make known that what he had started was going to continue that Jesus was alive. Peter said, this is happening because the one you crucified has been risen, has arisen from the dead, and now what you see is the result of his resurrected life and power. I would like to think that the church, the stance that we're taking now is not that it happened, but you haven't seen anything yet. Just wait. Just wait. Just wait. So, he wanted us to know it would continue. The same message is for you and me today. The third thing is this. To confirm what he had told the disciples, he said uh, that they were to ask in his name and the work would be done. This is the first instance that we know about where they used his name or prayed in Jesus' name or spoke in Jesus' name. So it was to let them know that it worked. It worked because they were seeing him do something. Now, this doesn't work just because he simply said Jesus. But when you have the connection of kingdom, and you're a part of the family, and you speak that name, it does work. Now, we know it doesn't work just to say the name of Jesus, because there are seven sons of Sceva in Acts chapter 19 that try to deliver a man from a demon, and they say, we adjure you in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, come out of him. And they got a good whipping. Because they just said Jesus. Now Jesus is wonderful. His name is wonderful. But if you're going to, if you're going to come against the devil, if you're going to try to try to deliver someone, then make sure you're a part of the kingdom and the family when you use that name. But when you are, oh my! You don't have to be ashamed, backward in any sense of the word, or have any kind of fear by approaching someone in the name of the Lord Jesus. Woo! All right. The last thing is this. Can it happen today? I want to tell you that Jesus is abundantly able. Matthew 9, Jesus is talking to some blind men, and he said, do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes, saying to them, according to your faith, let it be to you. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. He is able today. Not only that, but he's amazingly accessible. 
Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says that we have a high priest who can be touched, who is touched with the feeling of our weaknesses or infirmities, and was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. And the writer there says, Let us come therefore boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. He is accessible. There's a lot of people that are able, they're just not accessible. They're not accessible. But God is always accessible. He can be accessed. And so, He's able, He's accessible, and He's always available. Always available. That means that when you call upon His name, He said, do so and I'll show you according to Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. What is He saying? I'm able. I'm accessible. You can get into where I am, into the throne room, but when you get into the throne room, you're going to find I'm on the throne. You're going to find I'm on the throne. At the state office, uh, we're able to do a lot of things. People can come in there and walk in the door, and the receptionist is there, and the bishop's office is upstairs, and they can go up to his office. It's accessible. But it doesn't mean he's going to be there sitting in the chair. Sometimes he's out doing other things. But God's never doing other things. He's available. So, when we advertise and they come in, they're coming into an atmosphere where God is able and God is accessible and God is available. And when we begin to invoke the name of Jesus, it should bring about an atmosphere where a miracle transpires and those that are laid at the gate are healed of whatever infirmity they may have had, whether it be sin, bondage, sickness, drug addiction, whatever it is, they're delivered. And they're found no longer at the gate, but inside the gate, rejoicing again, singing and saying, I'm free, I'm free, thank God I'm free. Don't you think, God, that He's given us the ability to make miracles through the power of the Holy Ghost? and the use of Jesus' name. Stand with me this morning. Well, we prayed earlier around the altar for those who needed a touch. And if you didn't come at that time and you need a, a further touch this morning, then we're ready to pray for you. Staff here are ready. I'm ready. We'll pray for you. If you need anything from God, you come to me. We'll pray for you. If you're here mainly and you do not know Jesus as Lord of your life, let me tell you that today would be a wonderful day for you to do that. He so desires to commit 
can do as a congregation today. Pray with me this morning. I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer. Congregation, will you help me as I pray it? And I want you to pray it if you really doubt God for what he's done. And then you can tell me after the service if you prayed that prayer with me. We're going to make it simple for you today. Will you repeat this prayer with me, congregation? Dear Lord Jesus, I have heard about your name today. And I believe that there is power in that name. So in the name of Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins, to cleanse me from all unrighteousness, to bring me into the kingdom, and to be Lord of my life. I accept you today. And now by faith, I declare that it is done. I am now forgiven. I am now saved. I am now a part of your kingdom, and I thank you for it. Amen. Praise God. Just give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. Praise the Lord. Thank you. You got a chorus you're going to lead before we dismiss today? Amen. Don't you thank the Lord for the power of his word? Amen. We'll be back with you next Sunday to give you further information. In the meantime, pray and believe for God's will to be done, okay? God bless you, dear believers.